Welcome to the Axiom Podcast. My name is Joey Brandon. I'm going to be doing the podcast today with my good friend and colleague, Steve Sullivan. Hello, Steve. Hello. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about uh, kind of a running conversation on roles and venues. So it's uh, it's a topic that you and I have just been talking about, going back and forth, and and um, kind of highlighting some of the areas we see this show up in our practice with clients. And uh, so let's just start with roles. So Steve, what are when we say roles? If I say roles, like what in the real world? Give me some examples of common roles in your life. I would say in the business world, you know, you know, the ownership role, but also um, developing people, and then in the in the personal role as a dad, as a husband, mm-hmm. and uh, as a member of a church, um, as a friend and a neighbor. Right. So Stephen Covey uh, opened my ideas to this concept twenty uh, something years ago. He wrote this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he really talked about in terms of setting goals and thinking about what you want to accomplish in life. Think about your different roles that you have. So, you know, for for, for you and I, you know, child of God is kind of at the top. You know that that is one of the roles that I that has to kind of rule over all the others. But also, I'm a I'm a spouse. I'm a husband uh, who wants to be a better husband. I'm a father. Father who wants to be a great father. I'm a son. I'm a friend. Um, I'm a business person. I'm a volunteer. A church member. Uh, so you know we have all these roles, and then we have venues. Mm-hmm. So the venues. Uh, so we think of like sporting venue. You and I love baseball, and we could go on and on about different baseball venues that we've been to, and what was cool about this one or that one. But the thing about those venues is when you show up at one. Uh, in, in today's modern era of baseball where everybody's got, I think there's, is there anybody who doesn't have a purpose-built stadium right now? Oakland? Oakland. Okay. But for the most part, you show up at any of these venues and there's no question what happens here, right? We They play baseball here, right? I can see the diamond. I can see the netting. I can see the the batter's eye, you know, and, and you're like, oh, this is a baseball stadium. And, and that's kind of, that's exactly what we're talking about with venues in this context. So if I see you at home in your driveway with a gas can in one hand and, you know, pushing a lawnmower with the other, um, or you've got an electric lawnmower. Yeah. So, you know, so I see you with the, the, the cord in one hand, you know, charging the mower, whatever. I'm like, oh, that's, that's Steve in his home ownership role, right? That's Steve in his handyman role. If you know, or, or better yet, if I see you out there, uh, you know, sipping your coffee while Alex, you know, or Jack is out there pushing, I'm like, oh, that's Steve in his dad role, making sure that the kids mow the yard, right? So venues in the business context also can help inform, you know, what role is being played. And what we want to talk about in this podcast is that there are definitely, we see this all the time, where there's confusion about the role because there's not intentionality about the venue, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to talk about four roles uh, and, and I'll just go, I'll hit them real quick. The ownership role, the manager role, the partner role, and the leader role. And we could probably uh, interchange these terms. You and I have kind of gone back and forth, and you know, I think we pulled we, we from shareholder to owner. Like you, Some of these things you could quibble about which word we're using. But the four distinct concepts um, stand out from each other, and we want to talk about each one of those. So if, let's, we'll start with the ownership role. So the ownership role... Uh, is just that you know these this is what you should be doing 
if you are an owner of the business, there are certain, there's just as there are certain responsibilities you have as a husband, as a father, as a homeowner, there are certain responsibilities and duties and expectations that you have as a result of being an owner of a business, right? Does it make sense? Absolutely. So when we talk about uh, the ownership role, some of the problems that, that can happen around ownership roles is business owners just don't take time to be owners, right? And we see this all the time where, um, maybe they get financial statements, uh, but they, you know, they arrive when they arrive, right? So uh, great businesses, uh, we, we try to get a lot of our clients to get to this point where within seven, five, six, seven business days a month in, they get financial statements. But when they get, when the controller or the bookkeeper gets them, they just give them to the owner and they may sit on the desk for a day or two. Uh, if there's a partner in the business, another owner in the business, you know, they, they may sit on their desk for two weeks, you know, because they're busier and nobody's really driving this conversation of, hey, we need to talk about financial statements. So that's, that's one of the areas that we see uh, ownership roles could be improved. Others are just bigger decisions. You know, so when we talk about, well, you know, what are our plans for next year? That's, a, that's kind of an ownership mm-hmm. piece. That's something that owners should be deciding. Um, when we talk about the venues for those, uh, I think we both say you, you, you probably shouldn't just book the conference room You know, when it's free for 45 minutes. Go, okay, we're going to have our owner meeting today, right? That's going to bring more attention. Right. So when we, when we look at ownership roles, what we're trying to, to get the business owners to do is take off the hat that they wear every single day, mm-hmm. set it aside, and put on the ownership hat and answer questions that owners should be answering. Mm-hmm. And this definitely applies if you if there are multiple owners in the business, but it even applies if you're, um, if you're the single owner of a business, mm-hmm. right? So uh, as I was telling you earlier, you know, one of the things that Josie and I are working on is being more intentional about this ownership piece. So currently, like I'm the owner, um, and I don't have any other owners that I'm you know, necessarily accountable to, but my wife, I'm definitely accountable to her. And so there ought to be times, and, and we could talk about how often, um, should it be four times a year, quarterly, should it be you know, monthly, but I'd say somewhere between monthly, but no less frequently than quarterly. We ought to be sitting down and looking, okay, like how is the business doing? If I'm looking at this from an ownership perspective, what I'm asking is uh, given the inputs, the, the time, the financial inputs, um, the intellectual capital inputs, what are the outputs, right? What are the, what's the return I'm getting on these investments that I'm making? In a pure kind of ownership capacity, um, one of the questions you have to answer is, am I getting a return or am I not? Because if I'm not getting a return, it means I'm going to have to keep investing. Am I willing to do that? Maybe I am if it's a long-term horizon. But when, uh, when we see this ownership role not really being, uh, not, not taking center stage at some point during the year, like three or four times a year, we find that those questions really aren't being asked. The question that's being asked on a fairly frequent basis is, is there cash in the bank? <laughs> and that's, that's important. But to ask a bigger question of like, what are the returns that we should be expecting out of the business? Um, what, do you, what, else would, what else could be um, fodder for discussion at an ownership meeting? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, what else might you put on that agenda? And it's funny that you said that. I was just one of the things I was thinking to ask you back. What are some of those questions that need to be asked? But in really evaluating the vision and looking organizationally, 
where are you right now compared to where you wanted to be at that point, whatever point that is. And so asking yourself, not only on the financials and the returns, but where are you right now and where is it on the vision and how clear is your vision for this company communicated with the rest of the team? Hmm. That's a good point. And it's not, it's, it might be something that we get into uh, in the discussion about the manager role, mm-hmm. um, but it makes me think even in this ownership role, there's, there's more to the audience uh, that you're speaking to as an owner than just the other owners or just your spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the troops need to hear from the owner and the, and that that is a little bit different maybe than the troops hearing from the CEO, right? Or the, the, the general manager of the business. The owner is basically like you said, like, Hey, we're, we've invested, I've invested uh, time and energy and resources into this organization. And this is where we're trying to get to. And this is how far we've come and this is how we're performing. And, and I really appreciate, you know, all the work that you're doing on my behalf as the owner. I think that's a, that's a important component of it. Um, so when we talk about ownership, let's get like specific brass tacks. Like what are these venues in the ownership role? It's the first role we're talking about. So when we say venue, we're not talking about baseball stadium, right? We're not going to rent out a baseball stadium, right? But so what are we talking about? Uh, and it's probably not the conference room. So why not? Why, why would you not want to be just be like, Oh, the conference room is free. Let's go, let's go grab the conference room and talk about financials and progress toward vision and that kind of stuff. Because it takes the intentionality out the window. It, it feels at that point just very uh, off the cuff, not, not thoughtful, not mindful. And as the, as the owner, the leader, you need to be very intentional all the way through. But having those venues inside of your office where it's blocked off and you already know exactly, you've controlled the environment and you know you've controlled the distractions. In a conference room, people can come in, knock on the, on the door, right. and they can interrupt. Right. But instead, you've got the door closed or in the, and so you know everyone is prepared for that. Or you know, I can tell you, um, you know, some of our if the ownership venue a lot of times is going to be just the owners. You know, so we might have two business owners, um, and I think you're right. If anybody can open that door, it's going to be opened. Right? There's uh, every time we sit in a closed door meeting with two or three owners in a business over the course of an hour or two, there's going to be three or four, you know, I just need a signature here, or I just need to know what to tell this person there. And, um, and we want to be available and we want to be accessible. And, uh, you know, I think most of the time that's fine. I think most of the time that's just the case. But again, if we're going to the effort to say, oh, this is one of our four quarterly ownership meetings, and we have thought through the agenda, we have prepared in advance, you probably should also just make the time, spend a little bit of money, book something offsite, right? Like, so let's go, let's go to the local, you know, hotel down the street, rent out their conference room, there's a restaurant on property, we can break for lunch, it won't take a lot of time, get back to work if we're going to take more than half a day. Um, but I, I think it's not that difficult 
to figure out what venue is going to work for an owner's meeting if you are uh, if you're just a little bit intentional about it it's very hard if you're like oh shoot we've got to get this done I, t- I told my my business coach or I told Axiom or I told you know whomever I was going to get it done before the end of the quarter and I got a week left let's you know try to shoehorn it in you can't find a place to meet it feels harried you don't put a lot of uh, uh, time or energy into the agenda. You don't prepare. Um, the other thing that I'd say about venues is um, it, it's the time. You know how much time you're setting apart. It's the place. Um, but you know there is also like who who's on the list. Obviously, your other owners are going to be. But you may, to your point, um, if you want to be intentional all the way through. Maybe you're like, maybe we should have somebody else facilitate this. Maybe we should have somebody come in and help us put the agenda together, help us walk through the agenda. Maybe we should invite you know, some guests. Maybe we should have our controller or our CFO in for part of the meeting. Maybe we should bring the... Um, a business broker who, if we're looking at buying other businesses, maybe we should invite that person in and, and tell them specifically, we want you want you to take 45 minutes on the agenda and tell us the state of the market and whether we're going to be able to, you know, does it look good for being able to buy competitors or, or mom and pops that are going out of business over the next two to three years. But that level of intentionality takes time. Right, so the only way you're going to get it is to pull out your calendar and say, "This is the day we're doing it. This is where we're doing it." Get somebody to call, book the room, make it happen. But when you do that, you're planning it all the way through, and you're thinking it all the way through. You're having the meeting before the meeting. Yeah, so, well, that's a good point. Thinking it all the way through, and, and also in in um, in that sense, also think like, what do we want the outcome to be? Mm-hmm. Like, what's our goal for? Are we just trying to check a box because we heard Joey and Steve say on a podcast we should do that? No, like that is not. Well, it's not why you're doing this. You're doing this so that you make time and space for the bigger decisions that aren't going to get made otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, being more intentional about longer-term decisions. The other thing that um, I think it was Stephen Covey uh, talks about the four quadrants. And so you've got things that can be urgent and important, uh, not urgent and important, uh, unimportant, urgent, unimportant, not urgent. So there's those four quadrants and he wants you to, you know, he says what we really ought to be trying to do is manage our time so that we have more time to give to the important, but not urgent things in our lives. So when we're talking about business ownership, what's important, uh, but it's not urgent. All right. And if, if it's not urgent and you're not being intentional, it's never going to get done. Right. And that's why it goes back to the venue is such an important component to that because going back again, it's the intentionality behind it. So everything stays streamlined and focused and you get to the desired outcome. Mm-hmm. Very well said. All right. Let's move on to the, to the next role, the manager role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a manager in a business, I'm responsible, and, and I should probably say, when we say manager, we're not necessarily talking what, what we would term, quote-unquote, professional manager. In other words, somebody who has the luxury, uh, you know, back in the day to put on, you know, their black wool or navy slacks, navy suit jacket, 
um, you know, wool trousers, wingtips, you know, and, and go into the office and sit behind the computer terminal or, you know, or, or be on the conference call or be in the conference room all day. That's not the managers that you and I deal with the day in, day out, right? Our managers, uh, they're wearing work boots. Uh, they got the company logo shirt on. And yeah, they might be pulling sales reports in the morning, but they might be doing a bid in the afternoon. Uh, so th- they're, they have, um, they have, for lack of a better term, we might call it like production responsibilities. Or like there are there are nuts and bolts things, activities in the business that they need to do that don't have anything to do necessarily with managing other people, right? Mm-hmm. So there's two sides of the job. There's I got to get the work done that I'm responsible for, and in some cases that could just be like putting out customer fires. Right? Like like I'm a sales manager, and I may not be. Uh, issuing proposals. I may not be following up on leads, um, but I am uh, running interference when somebody gets upset at a salesperson or when something doesn't get delivered by production the way the customer thought it should be, and I'll jump in and put that fire out. But when I'm doing that, I'm not managing, right? right? So when I'm managing, what I'm doing is helping other people basically get their work done. Leading. leading, Yeah. And, and we will make a little bit of a distinction between leading because we're going to come back to that later, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, there, somebody, a lot of the, I'll say most of the people, almost all of the people who go to work in a business need to look and go, okay, who do I go to when there's a problem? Right. And so that's, that's managing. That's what we're talking about. Um, when somebody says, well, what's the venue for managing? Mm -hmm. Isn't that just the workplace? Yeah, it, it could. I guess it would depend on the scenario. But I think the other thing, too, is it's going to change because companies today have evolved. Like you said, it's not what they used to be, the guy with the wool slacks and in, in the, the wingtips. Now they're work boots and they're, they've, sometimes it's virtual. Sure. And so yeah, now we see that a lot. it looks different now, but it's still important to be able to have it defined. Right. And it may not even be a, so to your point on the virtual and remote work venues may not, you know, in the old days we go, well, okay, so let's, let's say this. Uh, if there are times when I'm actually uh, putting out fires and there's times when maybe I am doing bids, maybe there's times when I am checking specs on a product uh, as the operations manager, um, so you can't just call work my venue because I'm not managing the whole time I'm at work. Mm-hmm. When are you managing? Well, it could be that uh, one of the things that were huge, it's a deal breaker for us. If you don't want to sit down with your leadership team on a weekly basis and execute the strategic plan as a team, you know, so we have these weekly leadership team meetings. And if you're not willing to do that, like we, we will bow out very, very quickly because right? yeah. we know it's not going to be effective. We know we're not going to be able to execute well. That's a venue. That is a managerial venue. And I think a lot of times, uh, well, the, the whole point of this podcast is if we will do the hard work to think about where, what is the venue for each one of these roles, then we're more likely to spend time and energy in that place and be more effective at that role. So when we say, what, what are some good venues for that managerial role? Well, a weekly team meeting with the people that you're responsible for is definitely one of those. Um, some of the other venues might be some time that's set aside on your calendar on a very periodic basis to look at, well, what is the outcome? You know, how are my people doing? What are the production reports? What are the sales numbers? 
uh, definitely one-to-ones with your people uh, to talk about their numbers, to talk about their to-do lists. There's a different kind of one-on-one we're going to talk about in leadership. But you know, we have lots of sales managers that we work with, and they run a weekly sales meeting, but they also have one-to-one sit-downs where their people have to bring all your open leads, all your uh, closed opportunities that have to be signed off on, um, all the other things that you're accountable to. And it's very kind of metric-driven, numbers-driven relationship. And that's managing. That's venues, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't set aside time for that venue, it doesn't just happen you know, by accident. Right. Now, you just mentioned the what and the, and the how inside of those. But tr- describe a little bit more why that's important for the manager, the management side, the leadership role, why that's important to grow. It's a good, good distinction. I think one of the things that I would point to, uh, and I point to this a lot, there's a big difference between delegation and abdication. So let's go back to a, a very uh, familiar example for most people of like salesperson, sales manager. Um, why is it important for me to establish venues for the weekly sales meeting and the weekly one-to-one to go over their numbers. Well, I can, in a, in a sense, I'm delegating, as an effective sales manager, I'm delegating the responsibility to go out and sell the company's products or services to a sales team. Mm-hmm. And all businesses go through this where, uh, and, and they start off in the mom and pop stage, and oftentimes the owner is the chief salesperson, mm-hmm. right? They're the one most qualified, they know the product the best, they've got the clout with the customer, and so they're the salesperson. But they get to a point where they're like, man, I can't, I can't sell anymore myself. Let me bring somebody else along, right? And so then I sell alongside that person, and we kind of share that responsibility. I have some, they have some. And then we add a second and a third. And then eventually st- stuff starts to break on the operations side. And I'm like, I got to go help over here on the operations side as the owner. And now I've got three or four salespeople who are, who are doing work. And the work is evolving. And the proposals are evolving. And the, the market's evolving. And pretty soon I look over at my four salespeople. I'm like, I don't know what contract they're using. I don't know what software they're using to quote. I don't know. And like, man, I, we need to add a fifth person. But before I add a fifth person, I really like to have somebody come in and help these four people be effective, right? Mm-hmm. So we hire the sales manager and the sales man. So we've now dealt as the owner, we've delegated responsibility for managing the team to somebody. And then that salesperson comes in and they're not selling, mm-hmm. right? So now they're no longer doing work alongside or that you don't have somebody who's doing alongside and managing. They're actually managing the work and they're delegating their responsibility as opposed to abdication. So abdication would be, it might look similar in some aspects where um, I come in and I say, hey, everybody, you need to sell a million dollars worth of product. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I go off and I, I do my own thing. Versus, well, a million bucks is basically $80,000 a month. Uh, so let me come back in maybe at the end of the month or let's say even better, at the end of a week and go, hey, did you sell $20,000 this week? Are you on track? So abdication is you just got to go sell a million dollars. Go figure it out. I don't want to. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it. I, that's why I hired people so I could quote unquote delegate this stuff. But I'm not delegating. I'm abdicating. When I delegate, I I not only hand the responsibility off, but I come back around to make sure that you're able to follow through. That you don't need anything else. And when we talk about these venues. A venue, a a very intentional venue or or system of venues uh, for a good manager 
is the difference between um, delegation of accountability and responsibility and authority and abdication of it. And we run into a lot of situations where, where I'm not sitting down with my people every week. Or some weeks I do and some weeks I don't. So let's just say that you're, you're one of those managers who, um, yeah, you know, we're supposed to have a standing meeting at this point in the month. And uh, yeah, how many times have you met in the last month? Uh, I think once. Right? <laughs> so are you really delegating responsibility or are you just abdicating it? Right. Yeah. And how does that impact when, what, are, what have you seen on both sides, the impact of both in a culture? Um, well, we could get into a discussion about A players, right? And that's definitely something we see. And uh, there's a book called Top Grading that was written uh, probably 20 years ago or more now. I can't remember the author's name, but one of the big takeaways that uh, one of the things that struck me in that book is he makes the argument that once you get to a certain level of qualification, so like let's say that I put out a list of qualifications for a salesperson, and you know you need to have two years of experience in the industry, you need to be able to you know run software, you know you know fog a mirror, whatever, right? So, um, but once one if you get a population of people who meet those standards. Um, and what we call qualifications, 25% of them are going to be A players, roughly. Mm-hmm. Another 25% are going to be like D or F players. And then the middle of the bell curve is going to be Bs and Cs, right? 50%. So what do we see? What effect does this have when we have managers who abdicate rather than delegate? When we have managers who are not intentional about their venues in that managerial role and just get... Um, just kind of uh, revert to like putting out fires or they get their head in the weeds and they're really not out there checking to see if everybody's uh, on track and, and on pace for where they need to be. What we see in those situations is that the A players, that top 20 to 25%, they just do it anyway. They're actually probably happy because you're not taking time out of their week for this sales meeting. You're not uh, wasting their time checking their numbers that are already exactly where they need to be. Like, they're checking their numbers every day. They don't need you looking over their shoulder, right? And so the A players just do what they do. They they may even do it a little bit better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, what the A players also begin to notice is that the they'll put up with the B players, mm-hmm. right? But they'll bitch and moan about the C and D players, right? The B players, like, they will tolerate the A players. They they don't necessarily like them because uh, they, they do have the, the, the tendency to make them look bad, right? Uh, they kind of like the C players because the C players help them look good. Um, and the D players, you know, they're not real happy about the D players. The C players... They're probably in the wrong seat on the bus, yeah. right? Um, they're not bitching and complaining about anybody uh, because they're just trying to figure out which end is up, and they're probably not in the right spot. The D players, like, they're bitching about everything. Oh, yeah. They're bitching about the culture. They're bitching about the A players. So what do you have? You have half the people in your organization complaining in some way, shape, or form. Eventually, the A players, the top performers in situations where they're on teams with laggers, and they're not they look at the managers, they look at their leaders, and they go, they're not doing anything to help this organization. So I can continue to be the biggest fish in a small pond, or I need to go find a bigger pond so that I can continue to have opportunity. So they'll stay for a time, and then they'll leave. Um, the D players, they'll stay until you, you make them leave. But again, 
who is dealing with this? Who's the now? I'm not saying the managers don't have to deal with it, but the managers have to deal with it a lot less frequently than the the A, C, and and A, B, and C players. Mm-hmm. Because they're not having meetings, right? They don't. So when the managers have to deal with it, it's because something blew up. Somebody comes into their office, like I can't put up with Sue anymore. She's driving me absolutely crazy. She's toxic. She doesn't want to be here. She all she does is bitch and complain about everything. Oh my god, I got to go have a talk with Sue, right? And so we sit down and go like, so how are things? Well, you know, I mean, sometimes it's rough, sometimes it's not. But then we go talk to the teams, and it seems like this place sucks. Everybody's always complaining. These guys think they're prima donnas, the A players. They're going out selling everything, you know, not paying any attention to how we're actually going to deliver it. The D players are riding coattails. We haven't had a change in our performance comp arrangement, and x number of years and and they're getting by because they can hide in the shadows so uh it is easier to be a manager who will abdicate right because you know all of these workers all these team members that we see in business once you get to if you've been if you've been tapped as a manager it's because you're competent right there's not there's rarely is there anybody who's incompetent from a um, get the work done standpoint they've proven reliable they've proven responsible so they've been given more authority and responsibility and they've been made managers as a result they will always have work on their plate they will never come in and be like i don't know what i'm going to do today because people are always people always have fires for them to put out. People always have problems that they can help solve. But that doesn't mean that they're effective managers. Exactly. Because all they've done is abdicate responsibility to a bunch of other people and then put their head back into the weeds. Mm-hmm. Right. So our our goal is to one, get them to understand there's a difference in role. As a manager, you're different than now you have a production role too, right? But there's a difference between the two. And it's the production because it results in a lot of important and urgent work. You're always going to spend time in that venue. We do not have to force that, but in the managerial role, because it requires a lot of important, but not urgent work. If you're not attentive to the venue, if you're not creating the time and space and and place on your calendar, it's not going to happen by itself. Exactly. It's that rhythm. It's the consistency. So people know to expect it. And that kind of goes back to the intentionality part. You know, as that manager, set those expectations so this way the staff, the team, they know it's coming. So if they don't know it's coming, then they're caught unaware. And so this way you have the rhythm and the expectations are set so it creates the, the space for it to be intentional, for the space to be accountable. Mm-hmm. And the accountability is huge. Yeah. And, you know, we try to encourage uh, a lot of these managers. They're young. It might have been their first time in a managerial responsibility. And they're getting used to this new role that they have to play. And um, and so we're trying to encourage and exhort them, you know, hey, step into this role, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's hesitancy because they're like, oh, people are going to see through me. They're going to see I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and I, I, sometimes I'll just, and uh, if we have one-on-one conversations and we're trying to, to build somebody up and encourage them in this way, I'll be like, remember when you were in say middle school or high school, right? And you would get a substitute teacher. Now there were always the subset of kids who were going to take advantage of the substitute teacher, right? And they're going to, they're going to use that opportunity to get away with way more than they would normally get away with. That's not you, right? Like you didn't get to the point you are. Like I'm, maybe you you were a hellion when you were small, but in large part, like 
you were not just the troublemaker. Those those people are in jail now. They're not a manager at this company, right? So, but you're so ignore those people. Mm-hmm. Think about what was the attitude of everybody else in class when I was in school, and we had a substitute who uh, who did not want to take that mandate, who did not want to to basically be the person to hold people accountable, who did not want to provide this structure. It was a very unsettling experience, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, I can't wait until this class is over because this person doesn't know what they're doing. And it's just a very unsettling, uncomfortable position versus you get the 25 year, uh, veteran, you know, and they, they, they've been a substitute teacher, like a professional substitute teacher, and you don't get away with Jack. Like they are on it. They've got the lesson plans. You're going to get the work done. There might even be a pop quiz that wasn't in the lesson plans and people are going to get written up. There's always the one jackass at the beginning of class that gets the referral and sent to the office just to make, and everybody else is like, Oh, thank goodness. Like somebody who's actually going to run the ship. It's incredibly unsettling when, um, when people sit under somebody who's not willing to hold them accountable. Yeah. Everybody, every, you know, we, we often find situations where accountability makes people uncomfortable. Right. But what we're talking about there is difficult one-to-one conversations where we have to call people out for not being accountable. And those are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if you're in an environment where you know that if somebody says, uh, if somebody's asked to do something, you know, that there's going to be some follow through. Mm -hmm. That's not an uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. That's just a very kind of solid, like, okay, up is up, down is down. You know, things are where they're supposed to be feeling right yeah. and that's what we need we need managers who will step into those and and basically delegate not abdicate mm-hmm. that will make space and time on the venues and and this is where another accountability is like if people are not showing up if you got sales people who aren't coming to the meeting you got people who are disengaged call them out they're always, I mean, everybody's going to test the water. Some people are going to test more than the other, especially your prima donna A players. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to, they're going to push again because they don't want to be there. Now we should circle back. We're spending a lot of time on this topic, but it's a good one. We should circle back and say, what about those A players? Aren't mm-hmm. you just said we're wasting their time. Why would we require them to be in the meeting? Like, well, we might be wasting their, the perception might be that we're wasting their time. But those A players have something that our B and C and D players need. Mm-hmm. So are we leveraging the, the strengths and the abilities on our team to, one, just provide examples? Mm-hmm. So like a lot of these sales meetings, one of the reasons the A players uh, get frustrated is because they are putting up the best numbers mm-hmm. and there are no numbers in the room. There's not a whiteboard with the sales figures. Nothing. A lot of times those A players will be more than happy to sit in the room if right behind the person who's leading the meeting is the whiteboard with their name at the top, right? And they'll put up with all kinds of boring content just because they, they're getting some tacit recognition that they're at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but but that having that number up there also raises the bar for everybody else. Exactly. Um, we have a lot of our sales teams who who do r- really good things in their sales meetings, like uh, something new, a new product or a new service or a new approach or a new script or a new uh, tablet. You know, for doing sales presentations, will be tried out. Who do we try it out with? We try it out with our A players, mm-hmm. and then we give those A players the floor in a weekly sales meeting, and they can say, "Here's what's working. Here's what's not." Right, and they're super engaged. No longer is it a waste of their time exactly. um, so I, I think there's a lot that um, 
that we put up with uh, because people will signal things like a, that a player will signal to us that I don't want to be in this room, right? And rather than sit down and have a hard conversation like, you're going to be in this room. We're all going to be in this room. I need you to help me make these other people better. I need you to help me be a better sales manager, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of vulnerability and humility goes a long ways toward engaging those people. And all of a sudden, you don't look at them as prima donnas anymore. You look at them as people who, yeah, I mean, they've they've got an ego. That's what makes them damn good at what they do. Mm -hmm. And they're teaching my, my young guys how to stand up and put their shoulders back and put their chest out and ask for the price and, and not get stuck in a bid to the bottom against our competitors. Right. And, and it's good because then it allows them to teach. And one of the best ways for leaders to learn is by doing and teaching others. So that also helps them build up the team to bring up the D players, to C, to B, to eventually A players, and then it creates the competition. And, you know, it's interesting when you see um, just inside the dynamic of a group. Now you've got the haves, the have-nots. But the cool thing is when you have the haves teach the have-nots, they don't have the skills, the talents, the experience, but they're bringing them up. Yeah. Every The entire organization flourishes. So... You know, and that's how really a, not only an organization, but a whole community flourishes. And, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. A, a friend of mine he used to be in AA, and I'd asked him, you know, you haven't had a drink in 15 years. Do you still need to go? He said, absolutely. Sometimes I need to go to the meeting, but sometimes the meeting needs me. Same thing with these A players. Yeah, it brings, the, they come in and they build up everyone else around them. Yeah. And it takes a manager who doesn't have to be the smartest person in the room. It takes a manager who's who's more than willing to to step side stage, let the A player, you know, be center stage or the B player or whoever. Hi, this is Joy Brennan. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. Let's talk about the, uh, we talked about owners, we talked about managers, let's talk about partners. So partner, uh, again, we'll say, I will say this, um, all owners are partners. So this is kind of the same person, but it's a different hat. So when we talk about um, ownership, we're talking about the number of shares or the percentage of the company that you own. When we talk about partnership, we're talking about the fact that you are one of uh, two or more people who uh, basically is responsible for the health and success of this business, mm-hmm. right? So that's a little bit, there's a distinction uh, between ownership and partnership. And what we're really trying to get at is when we talk about venues for partners, are you creating time and space and place where you're getting to know your 
counterparts better. You're, you're becoming a better partner because you know them better, mm-hmm. right? And so in practical terms, what this looks like is if you and I are partners and, and we both own a business, it really doesn't matter whether I own 1% or 10% or you own 100 or 90%, I guess matters of 100, 90% or 50%. Um, the point is we own this business together uh, and we're doing things to build our relationship uh, like taking our wives out to dinner together. We are, we are going rather than, uh, rather than at the industry conference, like I go one year, you go the other, you were both going Mm -hmm. and we're spending time in the keynotes together. We're spending time in the breakout sessions. We're having, having dinner or, you know, in the lobby bar after the, at the end of the day saying, Hey, what'd you think about that? And, and in those times also being able to ask much more relational questions like, and how's this business ownership thing working out for you? You know, how is your wife dealing with the stress of being married to a business owner? What about your kids? Do you ever picture your kids getting involved in the business? You know, how much longer do you want to do this? And just being able to get to know the other person better. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons to do that. Uh, a lot of practical reasons, I guess one of the, I guess it's, it's not impractical, but like the primary reason is like, that's kind of what we were created for. Right. To be in a relationship. <laughs> exactly. So the idea that, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's painfully obvious when you're working with two or more business owners and this isn't present. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're seeing all of the areas where, um, this isn't the, the fact that this isn't present is creating all these issues and all these. Issues. So one of the things that happened, there's, there should be contention in uh, healthy contention, healthy uh, discourse and dialogue and pushback in ownership discussion. So go back to the first set of venues and say, we've booked the hotel conference room and we're having our semi-annual owners meeting. And you're making the case that we really need to, to take, $200,000 of capital and open a second location. And I'm like, I think that's a terrible idea. Right. And I'm, I'm on the opposite side of that issue and we're going back and forth. And there, there's two ways that you know, two opposite there's a, there's a multitude of ways this could play out, but at two opposite ends of the spectrum, if we, if we put a spotlight on it and really contrast it there on the one end of the spectrum, there's uh, you and I spend no time together. We have no basis for our relationship other than these decisions that we're making and our managerial roles where we're passing each other in the hallway and sitting in conference rooms, doing the day in day out work. Um, and uh, I don't, I'm having a hard time. All I'm, I'm imprinting assumptions about what your motives are for wanting to open the second location. And well, that's close to his house. He really just wants, he doesn't want to be around me in the office. He wants to set up a second location so he can commute there. And he probably doesn't want to work hard anyway, because he just wants to cut his commute time down and he doesn't want any accountability because he wants to be away from us. Right. Uh, as opposed to at the other end of the spectrum, you and I have been going to conferences together. We do have a routine of, of taking our spouses to dinner. We make a point of showing up at each other's kids or grandkids' baseball games. And you say, you know, $250,000 to open a new location. And I'm like, let me dig a little deeper. Why does he want this? What's important to him? What is, I, know, I know his heart. I know he wants what's best for the business. How does he see that this is best for the business while I see that it's going to hurt the business? And it's that ability to, to offer proffer goodwill to the other person that is the fruit of a good, healthy 
partnership, a good, healthy partner relationship. Exactly. And, and that is so critical. I mean, we're seeing that really today in today's business setting because things are happening faster with technology. And a lot of times, you know, even with, with the pandemic, with COVID, we had been more remote. But the relationships struggled because of that. But the, the, the organizations that already had those deep relationships, they continue to thrive because they could, like you, you were talking about, you know, to say in this example, well, I want to do X, but something to do, I wanted to do Y. But here's the thing. Now we give each other the benefit of the doubt and we understand deeper behind what is the rationale behind? And we don't go to, we don't jump to, to uh, assumption or rush to judgment. We, we hear them out and we think it all the way through. So we don't have those internal conversations. We actually have a mutual conversation, yeah. a dialogue, not a monologue in yeah. our head that just becomes toxic. Well, and I, I think the, the more intimately we know one another and the more time we've spent trying to understand what's important to you, mm-hmm. I, we may have had lots of conversations about kids in the business. And I might be, I might be thinking instead of Steve wants a shorter commute, he wants to get out from under having me around. I think, well, of course, uh, Steve's often talked about Jack wanting to get involved in the business, and I can see where maybe I think where he's going is this would be a great place, low low stakes, but high experience content maybe for Jack to to be able to try some things on it, right? And so I wouldn't even know that right. I wouldn't have the ability to make positive assumptions if I didn't know you better, right? So we're kind of building uh, a better basis for not only proffering goodwill, but uh, a goodwill is like, well, I'm going to assume that he's doing this for the right reasons. And as much as we don't want to make assumptions, like that's what, that you can't go through life without making assumptions. Like if I take a step, I assume that my leg is going to catch me, right? If I were to make zero assumptions whatsoever, I'd stay in the same place all the time. So I have to make assumptions about you do I have enough information to make great assumptions? Or do I have so little information that the only assumptions I can make are based on what I think is in my interest? And uh, if, if you're not willing to spend that time in a partner venue, like you're not going to, it just takes time, right? It takes a lot of time. It takes energy. Uh, and, you know, it's, it takes, I say it takes energy. Sometimes it can be damn hard. Like, there are business partners that I can think of in my head right now, and they don't like the same sports. They don't like the same restaurants. They don't have the same hobbies, right? And so it's not as easy. I, I'm thinking of another set of business owners uh, that I that I know we talked to one of them this morning, mm-hmm. and they do. Like, they vacation together. They they love cars. They play. They both play golf. They love, both like to fish. They both have boats. They both love to RV and camp. And so for them, it's like, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, maybe, maybe the lesson here is like pick partners that are, it's easier. Right? I mean, that wouldn't make your life easier, but even in cases where there aren't, the benefits are too huge for you not to put in the effort. And yeah, you're not going to get paid for it. Not get, you're not get paid in the sense of you won't put this on a timesheet. You're not going to, it's not going to show up on your W2, but, um, the, the benefits for you personally are going to be huge. But going back to something you were talking about with the management, the, the manager role, the benefits to the team are incalculable. Exactly. Like it, whether you, I don't care how good you think you are at the poker face. I don't think, I don't care how good you think you are at compartmentalizing and taking that 
um, that frustrating conversation you just had with your partner and putting it over here, your team knows exactly what's going on between the two of you. They may not know the content of the conversation, but they know the two of you are pissed at each other. They know you're not on the same page. They, they sense a rift in the business and you can't paper over it. And, and, it, and it will, it now it's created a whole new set of problems where you're going to have to go back into those other relationships at some point and explain you don't have to get into the specifics necessarily, but you do have to acknowledge there was a rift. Because mm-hmm. if you just pretend, sweep it under the rug and pretend like it didn't go anywhere, those people, you'll find general managers. I've, I've had this happen before where a general manager left for less money and they were beside themselves. Like, I can't believe this person would leave for less money. We did a, a follow-up interview. And I said, can I just do an exit interview with him? He's already gone. He'd been gone for three weeks. I said, can I do an exit interview? Because, you know, I, maybe it's something that we're not seeing. He said, these guys have been uh, going at each other uh, on the weekends for like the last three years. I never knew whether this company was going to split up and, and who I was going to be working for. And I just couldn't deal with it anymore. No. And, and I took that back to the two owners and like, well, yeah, but none of those arguments, they both said none of those arguments were ever very serious. We would just, you know, get our feelings hurt every once in a while. And there was one big consequential, um, decision that that one one of them made a decision to hire a very key position without consulting the other in their 10 or 15 years uh, prior to this that was the only thing you know that they acknowledged was substantive everything else was minor and i was like well his radar his antenna were up Mm -hmm. and he knew you guys were he didn't know how inconsequential it was all he knew is that the two of you weren't on the same page and his biggest fear was coming in one day and like yes we've decided to sell the company and now i don't know who i'm working for so you can't ignore this stuff it'll come back to bite you sooner or later especially because you're modeling that behavior to the staff so is if if leadership all the way top from the top down if that's the culture if that's the model the example then that's how some impressionable you know team members then that's how they think it is done and that becomes it just perpetuates the cancer so yeah exactly I I hadn't even thought about that but they're taking their cues from you and if they if they sense that uh, well sweeping things under the rug is just the way it's done in successful businesses and you guys are you're profitable so you must be successful so that's just that's how I that's how I do it I sweep stuff under the rug and we put on our big boy pants and we move on rather than have honest conversations with each other and worse think about this as a dad so putting our dad hat back on and looking at that venue let's just say our kids see us and our spouse having those challenges where we're constantly bickering. Well, what do they do? They divide and conquer. The kids were great at that. And so they'll, they'll position one against the other. Something like that then easily happens in the work venue, in the workplace, because they're going to position. They know, let me get under this person's skin. Let me go this way. And it just becomes a toxic culture. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very costly. Yeah, people are smart and mm-hmm. manipulative. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that brings us to our last role. So we talked about owners, we talked about managers, we talked about partners. Now we're going to talk about leaders. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've used the word leader uh, a few times, but what we're really talking about, uh, we want to zero in on a definition of a leader here where it's distinct from manager. Uh, manager means that I'm responsible for overseeing the work of other people. Leader means I'm responsible for the person. Leader means that it's my responsibility to make sure that these people who report to me are successful. Mm-hmm. Successful meaning, in my view, 
um, they are fulfilled in their work, they're effective in their work, they're efficient in their work, and if they're not, it's up to me to provide whatever it is they need so that they can be those things. Yep. So what does it look like? Uh, what's it look like to have a venue, a time, a space, a place where you are acting as a leader, not a manager? I think this is really critical because even just if you break down the word leader, if you're not leading someone, if you're not influencing them, then you're not really leading. I think John Maxwell said uh, that if uh, a leader that has nobody following him is just somebody going out for a walk. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's where the venue comes back into this. And it's very important based on relationship because, again, you're going to want, in order to lead people, you're going to want to meet them where they are and help them, like you said, help them feel fulfilled, help them get to where they're supposed to be. And so by meeting with them, the venue is really important. It's got to be a safe place. It's got to be a place where there's not a lot of distractions. Like when you said people, they, they get, I just to death. I just need this. I just need this. And it, it's not intentional. You get interrupted. But if, if you show that you value the time, so even if it's, you know, uh, grabbing lunch, but it's just one-on-one and you're really focused and you're asking them about them, what their needs are, what's, you know, what's going to make them f- you know, feel fulfilled, but you're focusing on them, you're pouring into them, you're, you're able to lead them. So that's where the venue, it has to be something that that uh, has the proper space to be able to facilitate whatever the outcome is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I got a lot of thoughts on this, uh, but I, I think we overly complicate things. So I would say at Axiom and, and the tool that, that we use and the tool that we try to instill in clients is that one-to-one, mm-hmm. right? And, and so when we say in Axiom, when we say one-to-one, everybody knows very specifically what we're talking about. And that is, uh, it's, time set aside on the calendar every single month it's it's there well in advance it's not like hey you got time for lunch it's like nope you're one-to-one we have a one-to-one today one of our team members you're actually going to come and it's, it's going to be two-on-one or one-on-two i haven't figured out yet but um uh but it's it's one of the things where that person who's having the one-on-one and and it's time that normally me and that person would spend uh two to three hours together once a month um and that person said, hey, Steve, I, I would love for you to come be a part of my one-on-one, mm-hmm. right? So they've kind of given that time with you, but it's theirs to give. It's not mine to give, right? So it's their one-to-one. And, um, and so for us, that's just a very, very intentional time. Uh, if at all possible, you know, we try to do them off-site. Again, getting away, from, a couple of things, getting away from distractions, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also just signaling this is a different place, you know, and, and I like the way you said, like, number one, it has to be a safe place. So if, uh, if, you know, full transparency, today's one-to-one will include a beverage, <laughs> right? And, uh, and something as simple as that is signaling, hey, like, this is, it's, this is a place where we can be a lot less formal. Um, I'm not concerned about 
you know, whether I'm concerned about whether or not you're sober enough to drive home, you know, so we're going to have one or two, right? I'm not concerned about whether you are, you know, a, a full sound mind and body to advise a client, right? So have a beer. It's yeah. okay. I don't, you know, th- this is a time for us to spend time together and, and for me to really try as hard as I can to understand how are you doing? And I'm going to ask quite like literally ask that question. How are you doing? And I'm going to ask, and try to understand as much as possible what is my role as your leader in the next 30 days but until we do this again what do I need to put on my list of things that I need to do for you or provide for you or go out and get for you so that you can be fulfilled effective and efficient in the work that you do and it's not something that uh, I I will say it is a frustration for us Mm -hmm. uh, to get clients to um to take this seriously, I'll say. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where it could be construed as uh, it's just another time to block off in my calendar. But one of the things, just putting my dad hat back on, with the boys, one of the things I explained to them, everything is hard until it isn't mm-hmm. everything. And, like, and I was explaining to them, because we were going through different things, modeling different things. But I was showing them just the simplicity of a little one drinking from a cup. It's hard. They're pouring it all over them. Right. Eventually, it's just second nature. You don't even think. Right. You're able to walk, drive, and chew gum right. while drinking water. But everything's hard until it isn't. The benefits of doing the hard first, where then it's no longer hard. and It becomes effective for the business to be able to invest that time to make it intentional to establish the foundations and the relationship and building up the communication next thing you know the back and forth going back to what you know what we even talked about with the uh, the manager role and the partner role it's all intertwined based on relationship communication and trust and transparency because then it may be hard may be uncomfortable at first but you're going to get to the other side faster you're not going to have to guess what they're going to what they're thinking what they what their needs are you can actually identify and then work toward that well then their buy-in who you're leading who you're growing is stronger and what does that do for your leadership mm-hmm. it makes it easier yeah and it, it's funny how uh, it should be unsurprising how time that you invest in, in trying to lead someone well will also pay off when it comes to also managing that person. So, the, and there's the same parallels exist between the partner role and the owner role, where if I'm spending time as your partner trying to understand and know you better, then when it comes time for us to make tough decisions or possibly butt head as owners, there are different outcomes because we've invested the time. When we have leaders who will really commit to the one-to-ones, who will put them on their calendar as a recurring appointment with no end date, um, intentionally prepare, limit distractions, if possible, get people off-site, um, ask those fundamental questions of how are you doing and what can I, what do I need to do for you over the next 30 days, we find that when they go into those managerial venues and they have to have... Um, conversations about why are we not able to get this number or that number well 
before, I'll, I'll contrast that with a leader who's not spending that time. When they say, why can we not get this number? Well, you see the posture change in the people who are being asked the question. The, the hair on the back of their neck you know, bristles. They, they get defensive. They're, the first word out of their mouth is, uh, you know, but or, you know, listen. Or, and you're like, whoa, like, obviously, they are reading something into my question that is not my intent. Or maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm offering too much goodwill to the manager in that situation. But when you go into a situation where the owners are spending that time or the leaders are spending that time and the same question is put out on the table, the responses are completely different. You know, we hear responses like, I don't know. Like, I've been trying to figure this out. And uh, we talked about it. You know, I've talked about it a couple times. And... I'm, I'm struggling with it too, right? And there's a there's a humility and there's a transparency and there's a safety in the response that is a direct result, not of anything that was done in that room in that managerial venue. You can do the great job of keeping the rhythm of your weekly meetings. You can do a great job of holding people accountable, and you may still get people to to bow up and be defensive. And you like I can't understand why people can't just. Um, you know, let their guard down. I'm not out to get anybody. Well, you're not spending any time communicating any kind of care, concern, or responsibility as their leader for their success. And so don't be surprised if they're skeptical. Don't see, we had a conversation with our colleague, uh, Cameron was in here before we started recording, and he was just relaying an experience he had where he was interviewing a team member for one of our clients, and and there was a lot of defensive posture. There was a lot of, well, why wouldn't there be, right? Cameron hasn't spent any time with this guy. And, you know, Cameron, he can be very offensive and very good. No, I'm kidding. I mean, he, Cameron's great, right? We, we both know that he's, he's highly relational, as is Devin. But if, if they have no basis for experience, you know, I think, you know, to Cameron's credit, he's like, I wasn't surprised. I haven't given this guy a reason to trust me. And yet we have quote-unquote leaders in businesses, and maybe some of you are listening, right? And you've given your people no reason to not be defensive, but you get offended when they get defensive, even though you haven't done anything to put in the, the work to give them a reason to think that, well, I really do have your best interest at heart. I'm asking this question, not because I'm trying to stick it to you, but because I'm trying to understand a problem that's affecting all of us. And I don't want you to have to deal with it any longer. So let's fix it. Yeah. People feel that when you're looking to serve them, that servant leader model, they feel it because it's genuine and there's humility. Like you said, there's no hidden agenda. There's no ax to grind. You're not trying to set somebody up. You're building them up. You're not setting them up. You're setting, the only thing you're setting them up for is to succeed. Mm -hmm. And that's where if the leadership focus is to build them up, having that right venue for the right conversations is so important because it builds, it creates the place to have those transparent real conversations so when everyone's foot's in the fire and something goes wrong everyone's pulling in the same direction you don't have to wonder well also so if you if we think about um maybe use those two qualifying questions you know uh, to the extent that i can put myself and you in places and and times where i can learn more of like how are you doing and what do you need from me what can i do for you if if that's if that's the goal of these venues 
just to ask your question, well, what are the venues where I'm more likely to find out how Steve is doing? What are the venues where I'm more likely to understand what it is that Steve needs for me? I can tell you, it's probably not a sterile conference room or an office. You know, it probably, I mean, we've done this before. It's days of fishing together, right? One, some of our best summer one-to-ones are when we go, you know, me and a couple of guys go fishing. And like, I'm finding out, you know, there's, I mean, if you're looking for uh, good business tax write-offs, like this is the portion of the podcast you should really tune into because there are all kinds of places and, and things you can be doing with your team members to understand how they're doing and what you need to provide. Don't limit it to, oh, I, you know, think outside the box. Like you said, meals are fantastic. Meal, be, being able to share a meal together, being able to, to go after, leave the, leave the office at three o'clock, go have a beer together, um, step out at 10 a.m. in the morning and go grab a cup of coffee and, and just sit outside with them when the weather's nice and have conversations you wouldn't have if you were sitting in the office. Invite spouses of team members to dinner. I, I think there definitely is a case to be made with, you know, um, the, the business owner needs to be relatable, but not, you know, fraternizing, you know, that can, that can lead to some, uh, kind of loose standards in the office. But I, I don't think that that is the reason you shouldn't be spending time with people outside the office because there's tons more opportunities to get to know them when you're not inside the confines of the business. And one of the things too, to try is asking the person you're leading, where would you like to go? What's a favorite place that you would that you would suggest that you recommend we meet? Because now you're in you're going to a place that one they're already comfortable, they've suggested it, but you're you're validating them, you're honoring them. Now they're automatically feeling closer to you because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you don't have to drive all the time, right? right exactly. <laughs> Let somebody else right. take the lead. Good stuff. Well, um, you know, we when we, we were getting ready to record this, we said, oh, 15, 20 minutes will be <laughs> done, and we're sitting at like an hour and three minutes. So oh <laughs> <laughs> you and I can uh, can talk about this for a lot longer. But uh, I would just encourage those of you who are listening, um, if you're struggling with these roles and venues, uh, I, I do think that the venues is a great avenue to get practical about whether you're actually spending time and energy in these roles. So if, if you are, if you're the owner of the business, um, you know, for that ownership and that partner role, what do the venues look like? You know, and if there are no venues, what should they look like? What can you, what can you start to put on your calendar and what places can you start to, to, um, to reserve or just get in your mind's eye about, well, these are things that we could do. These are places we could go together. Mm-hmm. And the same if you're a manager uh, who also aspires to be a leader. You know, we should say that not all managers are leaders, right? right? They can be, but it's a personal choice to really gauge your success by the success of other people and put yourself in, you know, in the passenger seat and, and do everything you can to make them a successful driver. So. Right. It has been fun. It's been awesome. This has been great. All right. We'll see you guys next week. See ya.